You're listening to the Converging Paths podcast, brought to you by Barakat Trust, with the support of the Altagir Trust and the Aga Khan Trust for Culture. Welcome, everyone. We're very happy to welcome you to the Converging Paths series. I'm Sefer Rashidi from the Barakat Trust, and it's a great privilege to have with us today Nawal Nasrallah. Welcome, Nawal. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And rather than introduce or describe you, I thought I'd ask you, how would you describe yourself? Me? Yes. Well, I don't know. <laughs> would you say you're a culinary historian, for example? Well, I am a, a, a culinary historian, you know. I specialize in... Uh, medieval uh, Middle Eastern cuisines. And how did you, what took you on this path, which is rather an unusual path, I have to say? Yeah, well, you know, my training was I used to teach English literature at the university. But then when I came to the state, I realized that, I mean, it was, of course, was the 1990s and people were interested in Iraq and they started asking me about you know, the, you know, the way of connecting to people, a meaningful way, they, 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 they were curious, you know, regarding our food, how we, how we cook it, how we serve it. So I went to the library and I, I couldn't find any cookbooks on, uh, on Iraq that I can refer them to. So I decided to write one myself. And since I, I hate just reading recipes, I like to have them, you know, supplemented with the culture, with history. So I decided to do the same thing for the Iraqi cuisine. So I uh, researched in libraries and uh, my research took me all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia, the Babylonian recipes. And what's more surprising, I found also two uh, medieval uh, Arabic cookbooks. Uh, they came from Baghdad during the Abbasid period, one from the 10th century, the other one from the 13th century. And then as I further researched, there were others coming from Egypt, from uh, Aleppo, from Al-Andalus. So I realized that in the medieval times, there was this, uh, you know, familiar interest in food, you know, the same way we uh, are interested in it. I, and I was surprised that um, just a few of them were uh, translated to English. So I decided to translate them myself. And this is how my journey started um, about 20 years ago. <laughs> And now it's still going on. <laughs> That's a fascinating journey. And I wondered if you could tell us what are some of the challenges are of working with medieval cookbooks and, ma and manuscripts specifically related oh, to yeah. It's really challenging. Uh, I mean, although uh, the books were uh, edited in Arabic, but every time I work on a translation, I have to go back to the original manuscripts myself in order to check on the text and uh, in order to discover other things things that I couldn't find in the edited text. So the challenges were many, uh, you know, for example, in the, the last one I did, in the recipe, the new recipe I discovered to be complete. It is a, a British library uh, manuscript. It was damaged on the top side, almost all the uh, folios. So at the beginning, of course, I needed to uh, read those parts because they were only uh, included in this uh, new, uh, newly discovered uh, manuscript. So I, it took me really uh, a long time to uh, work on every single single page uh, in my Photoshop uh, to sharpen the text to make it uh, readable. And this is how I, I managed to read, you know, like almost 
I mean, practically every single word in the in the missing part. I mean, you were you mentioned Egypt, um, Iraq, and Spain. And well, what do you look the old manuscripts. Is it? I mean, how easy is it to understand the words or the ingredients and the handwriting? I mean, yeah, these are three different things. Uh, the language itself, you know, as uh, you know, uh, the the Quran preserved the Arabic language. It didn't change much. For example, the English reader might find it difficult to understand for example, from the 13th century, because the English language changed drastically. But in Arabic, the language was preserved, and that was, and the credit belongs to the Quran. In this respect, it wasn't tough. I mean, it's the same language, the, the same grammar, but the difference is in times, because, you know, material culture evolved over time. We are talking about the 10th century and now 21st century things changed and ingredients, for example, changed their names or they are no longer used, um, utensils, etc. So that was a major challenge that I had to uh, encounter by referring to a medieval source. I wanted to uh, get a, a really an idea of what, how they talked about those ingredients, how they described them, how they used them. And uh, I had to go to a lot of sources like uh, books and botany, uh, dietetics, uh, medicine, horticulture, uh, agriculture, all those sources. And I was really uh, happy to find the information I needed in order to understand the text as far as ingredient, you know, and the materials used in the, in the recipe. And actually, one of the, the ways I know about from trying out some of the dishes um, at the talk that you gave. I mean, when you deal with these historic recipes, how easy is it to follow them? Are they very specific in terms of quantities or is it by trial and error that you work um, out things like how much you put in of something? You know, by experience, of course, you know, because I wrote a, a cookbook on Iraqi cuisine and I, you know, most of them are not properly uh, documented. So I had to try uh, the, even the modern recipe had when I wrote my uh, uh, books, uh, book Iraqi cookbook delights from the Garden of Eden. I had to try the recipe, for example, three times in order to get the uh, uh, um, the amounts of ingredients, uh, you know, correctly. Uh, and that is only the ingredients and the ingredients I'm familiar with. Let alone, you know, dealing with the ingredients I'm not really familiar with. So it takes a trial and error. My my method is to take a major ingredient, for example, let's say meat, and I build around this ingredient the rest of the things used and it works because you know i mean it's i mean our human taste did not change i mean what is pleasantly salty now was pleasantly salty so in this respect, it takes, you know, trial and error in order to get the correct amount. As for the method, of course, it is mentioned in the recipe and I have I have to follow it. And we also have to remember that uh, I'm dealing with Middle Eastern uh, cuisine and the uh, dishes we cook these days are not really, you know, uh, foreign to what they use. I mean, I'm familiar with methods, like, for example, they call ta'riq, which is a sweating. That is, you, first of all, you wash the meat, meat pieces on the bone, you put them in the pot, add some spices, and let the meat sweat, that is, release all its juices until it's all dry, and then you start cooking. I'm, I mean, I have seen this being done all the time. So uh, in this respect, it wasn't really tough for me, and it was an enjoyable uh, experience because, um, you know, the, uh, the moment I get the, the dish right. I, I really love this moment. So I go and take a photo for it to make it really look beautiful. 
I mean, you mentioned four or five places in which you've worked on medieval cookbooks. Do you find that actually the recipes and the cookbooks are written in a similar way? Or do they, I mean, is there a marked difference between, say, Damascus and Iraq or Egypt and Spain and Andalusia in terms of what a medieval cookbook would be like? Um, Generally speaking, and basically, they follow more or less similar methods. For example, the, the, the staple dishes were the stews. And the stews more or less were cooked in the same way. Way. But what they added to them, uh, how they presented them, this is where we uh, differ from region to region. For example, we noticed that uh, in Al-Tajibi's uh, cookbook comes from Al-Andalus. Almost all the dishes that have little sauce in them, they are served with the, with what they call tahmir, which is a, a mixture of uh, beaten eggs with the spices like saffron, uh, thickened with breadcrumbs or other ingredients. And then uh, when the dish is done, they top the, the pot with this um, egg mixture, which they call tahmir, and they, they leave the pot for an hour or so. They, they say an hour, but it depends on the dish until the egg set, and then they serve the dish. We don't find this in Baghdad, for example. This is a typically Andalusi technique for presenting the dish. This is where you find the, uh, the the difference in the presentation of dishes and the preparation. Well, given that you've mentioned this Andalusian cookbook, which I believe is one of the more recent ones that you've worked on, can you tell us a bit about it, its context, um, when it dates from, who wrote it, um, that sort of thing? Uh, this Andalusian cookbook uh, was written in the 13th century. And first of all, it's interesting that this time the, the writer of the book is not anonymous. We know his name, Ibn Razin al-Tujibi, and he belongs to, to an affluent family that's well established in, in, in Andalus. Um, we know something about him because he, he was a well-known scholar, um, well-revered, and uh, there were, there are, there were um, I mean, short biographies were written on him. And from these, we know that he, he grew up in Murcia until the, the age of 20, almost the age of 20. In Murcia, uh, his father died when he was uh, still young, and his cousin, Abul Qasim, uh, took charge of bringing him up. His cousin was a judge, well-educated, so he, he grew up enthusiastic about uh, learning, and his training was uh, a scholar. So at the age of 20, he and his, the family of his cousin, they had to leave Murcia because the Christian monarchy, they, they controlled the region. And the treaty between them, that they, the, the rights of Muslims should be respected, was breached by the Christians. So they had to flee uh, to North Africa. First, he uh, went with his cousin to uh, Ceuta in uh, Morocco. Uh, he stayed for a few years, and then he uh, moved to uh, Bijaya in Algeria. Following the scholars, he, uh, he, 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 was, he wanted to learn a lot from them, so he followed them. From uh, uh, Bijaya, uh, he uh, settled in uh, uh, Tunis, where he stayed the rest of his life. There, he established himself as a, uh, as a, as a scholar. He was uh, admired, and he was followed. He had his own uh, followers. Unfortunately, we know very little about his domestic life, uh, but we can, I mean, suppose that he was married in, uh, in Tunis, and that was where he wrote the cookbook uh, in exile. Um, he was, uh, I mean, according to my calculations, when he left and then he settled, he, he wrote about in the 1260s. And 
nothing was mentioned. No, there is no record of uh, medieval record of, of this uh, wonderful cookbook, but there are records of other, other books he wrote on uh, culture, history, uh, literature, but not on cooking. So it is really ironic that of all his books he wrote, only this cookbook is now known and uh, it, 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 it survived. So this is the story of uh, Ibn Razin al-Tujibi. Unfortunately, he, he ended his life in poverty. He, he died in uh, nine, uh, 1293 um, at the age of 66. And he was visited by uh, one of his uh, uh, close friends, Ibn Rashid, a few years before he died. And he, dis- he, he described the, um, the, you know, the, the condition he found uh, al-Tujibi and his family. He said they just survived on the bare essentials. It's really sad that uh, such, a, you know, such a renowned scholar with a generous spirit should uh, uh, end this way. I mean, this is not the uh, the impression we get from uh, when you read this book, uh, when you read his cookbook. So what do you think would make someone like him write a cookbook? And secondly, how do you think he got his information? Okay, so the first question, um, so what was it? <laughs> what was the first question? <laughs> okay, what would make him write a cookbook? Yeah. Um, I mean, it is uh, it is certain that Atujibi wrote his, his book for nostalgia reasons. The fact that he wrote it in Tunis, away from home, uh, the, 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 the his region that he grew up in and um, he loved. He wrote it to preserve a cuisine he, uh, he loved and he cherished. And that was his way of doing it, to write uh, a cookbook uh, uh, about it. So that, I mean, because he also uh, could see that, um, I mean, Andalusians uh, were coming to, to North Africa in, in, in big numbers and uh, there was the fear that this wonderful cuisine he knew very well would vanish or would disappear, would be forgotten. So this was his way of, uh, you know, uh, preserve to, to preserve this uh, uh, this wonderful cuisine. And he, uh, he he really succeeded in this. And how do you think that he would have got the recipes in the book? Um, yeah, well, he mentions, he, he wrote a, a short introduction to his book um, before the recipes. First of all, where he says that he is biased to the Andalusian cuisine uh, because it's uh, it is the best in his opinion and um, he thinks that they are advanced in this uh, in this uh, in the art of cooking and he mentions he said this book contains uh, the recipes I approve of by saying this we understand that he copied from books from other cooks uh, that were written in his time and Dallasie cookbooks written in his time and he said I invented also some of the dishes so it was was a kind of, uh, um, you know, a collection of uh, borrowed, um, uh, copied recipes of uh, dishes he, uh, he, I mean, he himself knew, and he uh, wrote down uh, some dishes from the oral tradition. He would, uh, for example, uh, hear. Uh, I mean, people would describe recipes to him, and he would uh, write them down. Uh, he doesn't mention his source. There is only one place where he mentions source, where he um, uh, writes about uh, cured meat, namaksud, and 
al-Qadid. He took it from a famous book by Ibn Jinnah. That is his only source. But we know that, uh, for example, for the in his introduction, for the parts dealing with the proper way to consume food, the proper uh, pot to use for safe cooking, we know that he took this from a famous, also another famous book at the time uh, by Ibn Zuhr. So it is a combination of all these things. But of course, we you, you feel that the, his, his editing skills are, are, are there all the time um, because it's written in good Arabic which is really, uh, we don't find this in, in all the uh, cookbooks that survived from medieval times. This is because we are dealing with, uh, you know, a trained scholar, really. He had good writing skills and he had a very, an excellent memory. So he, this, this all showed cookbook. And how would the cookbook like that be distributed? I mean, when a Tujibi would have finished it, what would happen? You mentioned that there are several copies of the manuscript that survived. So presumably there are also many more that would have been produced. Um, exactly. This is how a book, especially the ones that were popular among the people, this is how, how the book were read copies, hand copies. That's how, 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 how they did it. We don't know how many copies uh, I mean, were written, but the only ones survived uh, so far are three. Perhaps we may discover other copies, but it, apparently it was a, a popular uh, book. It was uh, in demand. So that's why we have, uh, we assume that uh, a number of them were written. And of course, we don't expect that uh, it would be um, distributed to the, uh, you know, to the general public. I mean, these are books that were at, uh, obtained by the well-to-do people who can afford uh, uh, buying uh, such books and who can afford really to, to cook those dishes because uh, not only by, I mean, money, but also who have well-equipped kitchens who can handle all those uh, cooking activities that those dishes require. Well, so I mean, reading was... the recipes, do you find, I mean, is there a level of complexity that... Oh, yes, definitely. Of... Oh, yes, definitely. Um, these are... I find, I mean, I, I translated several cookbooks from medieval times, and here I find the, the, the most number of, uh, you know, complex uh, dishes, too many steps. Uh, sometimes the recipe would take like one page and a half, two pages in order to finish, especially the ones dealing with the um, uh, stuffed birds and, uh, and the like. Um, not only that, but at the end of most of the recipes, he gives you variations. I mean, although we say that the book has 700, uh, 475 recipes, in fact, it has more than that. If you count the, uh, you know, a, a great number of variations he gives for, 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 for those uh, uh, dishes, it's really incredible how, you know, the patience he has and the skills um, and, the, um, and, the, and the care he took in order to reproduce those. It's amazing. So can you, like, can you give us an indication of what kind what would constitute a complicated recipe? You mentioned stuffed birds. Um, what, yeah. what what kind of recipe is it that he's talking about? Okay, so for example, stuffed birds were uh, were quite popular. And I mean, nowadays, when we stuff a bird, we like a turkey, for example, Thanksgiving turkey, you would just stuff the cavity, right? And then you put it in the oven. But no, they, I mean, at that time, they, they, they didn't, I mean, that was not enough. They would prepare the stuffing and they prepare, I mean, in 
addition to the cavity, they would really uh, fill the uh, the space between the skin and the and the meat. You know, the the entire chicken. They would make room, uh, separate the skin from the meat, and they would they, they would stuff it. Uh, sometimes even deboned. Sometimes they they would debone it and stuff uh, uh, elaborately like this. And then first of all, they would boil it so that the skin would uh, set uh, uh, a large cauldron. They would put the stuffed uh, uh, bird in, in, in the cauldron to boil gently. And uh, we know that he, he was familiar with such procedures because in his recipe, he says, you have to have a needle in your hand and watch the uh, the bird while it boils gently all the time and so that whenever you see a bubble forming in the skin you have to burst it gently i mean we we all know this uh, that uh, you know if a if a bubble forms in the skin you know underneath the skin it, it will be it will grow larger and larger until it bursts this will spoil the the entire dish so such observations they really tell us that he was uh, he really knew about king I mean, he didn't only just copy us but practice uh, cooking such rich, or at least watching them being cooked by uh, by the experts. I mean, are there many spices and herbs? And I mean, do you get a sense that this is a cuisine or a cookbook with many, many different flavors, or is it just many different ways of cooking birds and meat? Well, that's a good question because when we deal with the, for example, Al Warraq's book from the 10th century, um, he, I mean, the, the amount of and the variety of recipes you uh, of uh, spices used is is really uh, dazzling. And, uh, you know, you feel, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's overwhelming how many spices they use in the dishes. But when we come into to, to those recipes, at Tujibi's recipe, the, the amount or the variety of spices is kind of controlled. I mean, the majority in, in all the recipes, you find coriander. They use a lot of coriander, both the cilantro, the green herb, and the seeds. They use cumin, uh, black pepper. In all the dishes, uh, aniseed, um, but uh, for example, cardamom, they don't use a lot of cardamom. I only saw just that I mentioned that just once in a hand washing uh, preparation. Um, the herbs they used a lot because they grew, uh, you know, everywhere in the in the area, like uh, aniseed and the anise and the fennel. All those, you know, uh, uh, aromatic herbs they were uh, they were uh, fond of. Um, so this. This is what we, I mean, something we notice that uh, they don't use parsley. I mean, uh, we know parsley in the in the in the mashrak. We, 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 I mean, even today, I mean, we use parsley a lot in in, in our cooking, but they didn't use it in. Instead, they used a coriander, or as the green is, we call it uh, cilantro. They use cilantro juice, cilantro, uh, mint juice in order to add a flavor to their dishes. So it's, it's still uh, not clear why they this preference for uh, for uh, uh, cilantro, coriander seeds over uh, over the, the parsley. But it is my, uh, it is my, I mean, I think that... Um, Although parsley grew, I mean, they knew parsley in El Andalus, but they didn't use it much. Uh, it is my thinking that it's, it's uh, I mean, uh, uh, they, it's, it's, a, it's a preference. It's a, you know, they, they preferred this, the, 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 the aroma of the, of the cilantro and the coriander. We know that, I mean, cilantro is more aromatic than parsley. And if you have two things in one plant, that would make it really uh, uh, desirable. That is the same plant, you have the, the, the seeds 
leaves to use and you have and you can use it uh, uh, you know as a, as an herb uh, a green herb well one of the things that's interesting about cuisine and spices and herbs and every and ingredients in general is that sometimes especially when you want to impress guests having rare or expensive ingredients or things that come from far away is desirable and i does this cookbook have an element of that or are most of the recipes made of local ingredients oh no 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 i mean no i mean when i say they 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 uh, their use of uh, spices is uh, is controlled no they do use uh, imported uh, uh, spices that came uh, to them all the way from uh, from the far east india china for example ginger they love ginger they 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 use a lot and ginger doesn't grow there but saffron for example they also use it a lot but we know it grew in the mediterranean it grew in spain so that's why how they use it which is different from the al-mashra for example they have to uh, import of course we have to realize that uh, al-andalus is farther you know from the uh, far east than than al-mashra than baghdad and uh, damascus for example which were on the on the crossroads of the uh, spice trade so um they they as you said they uh, depended on herbs locally grown and all that but they also uh, used uh, some that were uh, important and you find presumably a complicated recipe that involves many steps and great delicacy is probably not something that you're going to make every day if you're just sitting with your wife or the more complicated recipes also the recipes that are more likely to have exotic ingredients um i cannot consider like ginger or, uh, uh, you know i mean they use aloes wood sometimes to aromatize the, the, you know, the dishes they use uh, camphor for uh, some of the uh, desserts and some of the recipes impressing the guests was much achieved by how to prepare the dishes than adding exotic uh, uh, spices like the cardamom uh, to impress the guests they would uh, present you with elaborately uh, prepared dishes and uh, uh, you know like we say always with this impressive tahmir with those coating this topping with the egg topping so it's the presentation that really uh, th- that they use to impress the guests otherwise they you know it was common to just to sprinkle the dish the finished dish with the black pepper sometimes with ginger depending on what kinds of uh, dishes they use sometimes with the uh, fine sugar so i didn't see this tendency to impress with uh, expensive uh, in- expensive ingredients as much as impressing with a uh, fine presentation Um, for example, I mean, they uh, we we find some of the dishes, some uh, unusual names for some of the dishes, and it makes you wonder why they call them like this. For example, in his chapter on eggplants, there is a, a, a dish called tuma. I didn't know what tuma is, so I, you know, I, it, it's not really, uh, you know, it hasn't been by, uh, you know, I, I didn't encounter it anywhere else. So I look up the dictionary, the medieval dictionary, and tuma turns out to be um, either an ostrich egg or a, a large pearl so when you read the recipe you realize why this uh, eggplant casserole was called tuma um, they arranged the eggplant uh, i mean after of course uh, preparing them in uh, you know in several ways and then in a casserole uh, they would put the calyxes the cleaned calyxes of the eggplants you know the tops the, the those domed tops of the eggplants and they would uh, arrange them all over the face of the dish in rows before sending it to the oven. So to me, those domes of the calyxes, they would look like an ostrich egg. They would look like uh, large uh, pearls. That's why they called it tuma. 
Otherwise, there's no reason why it was called O. So this is how you know we know that uh, even the, in the dish's name, they 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 want to impress you with, and it is suggestive of the presentation. Wow, that's fascinating. And do you think a modern day resident of Murcia would recognize these recipes if you made them? Yeah, well, some of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, the uh, Andalusian uh, cuisine, the medieval Andalusian cuisine survived in, uh, um, in you know, it, it better forced, for example, it changed its name, but it uh, more or less, you know, it survived in, uh, in some parts of, uh, of southern Iberia, Andalusia, but also uh, largely in uh, North Africa, in Morocco, where the, uh, most of the Arabs and Jews fled after the Inquisition, you know, that's where, uh, like in Fas, that's where the cuisine really uh, survived. But still, um, Murcia and Valencia, they even today, they are famous for their uh, paella dishes. Paella dishes were rice and, of course, with other uh, meat. And we know that Murcia and Valencia, this is what al himself says when he talks about rice in his book. He says, um, uh, he talks about rice and he says, in my hometown, Murcia and in, in Valencia, may God return it. Because it was already been taken by the uh, by the uh, Christian monarch. Um, so he, the rice Rice is the specialty of those regions, and it remained as a specialty. The paella, the region is that region, uh, Valencia and our surrounding, is still famous for its uh, uh, for its paella. Uh, also, something else in Altujibi's cookbook, it's the only resource, uh, cooking a culinary resource, where we find uh, the uh, fish tuna mentioned and prepared, uh, which is significant, of course, because um, of course, I mean, tuna was known in the region from back to the Roman times. But in this uh, book, the al book, he mentions ways to cook fresh tuna and uh, salt-dried tuna, which he called mushamma. Uh, mushamma means that it is. it looks like wax uh, from shama because it's a dry and it is glossy. So he called it mushamma. So they they, they used to desalt it and uh, use it in in, uh, in cooking the, I mean, there are recipes for uh, preparing it. But nowadays we know that muyamma is the, the Andalusi, nowadays the, the dried tuna derived its name from the mushamma, the, the medieval mushamma, which I find this uh, quite interesting. You know, there are things that stayed. Uh, also, for example, the abundant uh, use the uh, uh, of eggs nowadays Spain is famous for the it's uh, I mean they use uh, uh, eggs a lot in their dishes that was how it was also in in medieval times as it is uh, evident in Altujibi's book because of course uh, it eggs were uh, were abundant they were available and that's how how they used them they used them on almost every dish to uh, to top as a topping tahmir on the dishes but also in other uh, uh, they also boiled the um, the, the egg yolk, they would, uh, you know, they would use them as garnish, like small yellow balls. They, they would uh, spread them on the face of the dish, especially the farid dishes. And um, we, of course, we know the reason why they were abundant. Eggs and chicken, lots of them in this book, because they knew ways, uh, effective ways for artificial incubation. It is mentioned in Ibn al-Awam, you know, he's an Andalus uh, uh, agriculturist. Um, the way they used to do it was very very simple, really. They used to put uh, eggs in uh, glass boxes, but first of all, they spread those boxes, large boxes, with the 
bird droppings. They, uh, they, they grind it and they arrange the egg in this box with the pointed uh, end, the, the, the pointed end of the egg uh, facing upwards. They would cover those eggs with feathers and another layer of uh, pounded uh, bird dropping. And they would, um, for 20 days, they would uh, rotate the, turn the egg twice a day, like the, the, uh, the hen would do for, <laughs> for, its, uh, for its eggs. And they would hatch. So <laughs> that's how they got uh, that many eggs and chicken, you know, their, their, <laughs> their foods. There's even a story we read, you know, in their, in their books, uh, contemporary books, that uh, they, they talk of a, a grand uh, feast uh, arranged by a dignitary. All the dishes were all, they, 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 they were chicken dishes, nothing else, which tells, you know, the varieties of chicken dishes they knew and the abundance of the chicken. And this, of course, the importance of a book like L2GB, it proves that such stories, stories we read in history books, in the chronicles, they were, they had their base. I mean, they were based on a real thing. They were not just, a, you know, invented, <laughs> invented stories. And in the different manuscripts of the same cookbook, do you find differences or are they all is it all the same text uh it's it's of course for basically it's the same text but uh the three manuscripts first of all we have uh, uh one from madrid uh, which this is important because it has the the name of the author and name of it be and the title of the book and then um, but it is incomplete unfortunately and another one we have it uh, we call it a berlin manuscript it was written in uh, mashriqi uh, uh script also incomplete about two-thirds of its only uh, remaining so mashriki meaning that it was probably written somewhere in the eastern yes yeah which tells you how the i mean the the cuisine did not only travel east to west but also traveled west to east you know because they also the the east were also interested in and in, in how the andalusis prepared their dishes so there was interest on both sides um and there is the british library uh, uh, a manuscript which is the, uh, which has been recently discovered by the uh, the curator of the British Library. He was uh, categorizing books and then he discovered it. And he, uh, of course, in fact, he, it was he who contacted me in January 19th. I mean, it was, uh, um, he discovered, has discovered it recently and it was uh, digitized in Qatar Library in, uh, you know, end of November. And in January, he, he asked me, I mean, uh, what I make of this book? Have I seen it before? Uh, do we know it? So the moment, I mean, uh, he, he, he referred me to the uh, Qatar uh, uh, link. The moment I looked at it and I, uh, you know, I, 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 I mean, I leaped through it. <laughs> um, I realized, oh my God, this is the real uh, book. These are the, the missing recipes, the missing chapters that I couldn't find uh, in Al-Tujibi. Because at the time I was in the process of translating uh, the book and uh, uh, I was almost getting closer to the missing parts and I was you know with a heavy heart I was what what am I going to do what what, what am I going to uh, you know deal with those missing parts but then it was like a gift from heaven there I have them in this uh, in this uh, in this manuscript but of course as I told you it was a kind of damage you know water damage so I had you know I was determined to read every single word so it, it was not easy but managed to do so and um, I was able to present Al-Tujibi's book uh, complete first time. Then and about the 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 um the you know the 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 way they were written the uh 
the Berlin manuscript, the one that is really short, is a copy of British Library. I mean, it is a copy. But the one, the Madrid one, is, um, although, of course, it is obviously dealing with the same book, but he felt free to make changes, styles changes. And uh, But, uh, you know, they do this all the time. They don't just copy. They sometimes change things. Sometimes they change names of ingredients to make them more understandable to uh, people of their time. And uh, so so they, 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 they do take such liberties, which was not surprising, but they all, obviously, they all dealt the same thing. But for example, references of Murcia and saying, oh, may God return it and that kind of thing. Do these ref- do these phrases survive in all of the copies or is it only no, in some, no. not in others? Uh, because you have to consider uh, when those, uh, when those uh, manuscripts were written and where. Of course, all of them were written outside uh, in, in Morocco, but the the British Library is the um, is the oldest. They say it goes back to the 15th century, so it's closer to uh, to the uh, time of the Inquisition. To the um, so the the the, uh, the issues of uh, exile, the issue of uh, Arabs, Muslims, I mean Muslims and Jews uh, fleeing uh, Al-Andalus were still um, you know uh, still raw raw memories. So that's why he this is mentioned in uh, in the British Library uh, that it was uh, he mentions about uh, Murcia and Valencia may God uh, return it uh, of course because at the time at the time he wrote al Tujibi wrote it 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 was already taken um but for example uh, in one of the recipes uh, he, they mentioned the Byzantines and he said he, he he's mentioned he mentions the recipe and uh, that uh, was used by the Byzant- Byzantines the British library which is closer 15th century it says uh, may God destroy them for example we see the in the Madrid uh, manuscript, which was written in the 17th century, doesn't mention this because it's a, you know, it's a no longer a, a relevant issue. So that's these are the kind of liberties that uh, they take in when they copy their, uh, you know, the I mean the books in general. Fact. And given that you mentioned Jews, also, um, does the book refer to any recipes, for example, that Jews could eat or would be that they don't mix meat and milk, or is it generally a book that's written for consumption by Muslims? Uh, um, the only Jewish recipe I find in this book is one about a, a, about a partridge, a bird, a bird recipe. That's the only one which says uh, this is Adihi Wasfa Yehudiya. That's the only one which mentions it. But in the other uh, cookbook contemporaneous with the with the Al-Tujibis uh, it was written in Andalus uh, it was written earlier than uh, than Al-Tujibis when the, the writer was still in when, I mean of course he's not a, mainly a writer he was an author and compiler so was compiled, most of his compilations he wrote it he was there and that's why we find uh, about uh, six re- six Jewish recipes uh, in the in the other one. But al Tujibis it has only one. And and uh, I mean I don't find the um, there's no milk for example no no mixing of meat and uh, and uh, and milk and dairy in the in the Jewish recipes. But more or less you know they, uh, they, they 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 described dishes almost more or less similar to the ones being cooked in the general you know in the general kitchen. 
mentions the other is they were not particular about these things i mean they don't mention those kosher rules or you know regulations and it's been fascinating but as uh, we near the end i thought as oh. <laughs> books tend to end with sweet things and dessert um i thought i'd ask you about desserts does does altujibi's book also end with sweet things and if it includes them what would be the most fantastic dessert you could get in 13th century spain according to him well uh yeah he does have several uh, recipes some of them dealing with the pastries some of them with the puddings you know like uh, um the 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 most famous is muassal they call it muassal um it is like a pudding but instead of uh, you know thick pudding chewy pudding but instead of using sugar they use asal which is honey that's why you know they call it uh, muassal um they cook uh, they prepared some uh, cookies sweet cookies which are in a way are still Uh, being prepared these days like Ka'b al-Ghazal and uh, Makrooza and all these uh, Ka'ak you know all these uh, sweet pastries uh, that are that that stood to the test of time and they also prepared uh, some uh, hard candies you know like something to suck on you know like and uh, some of them I find I mean one of them is really interesting because uh, it, it, it is called Ishqaqul I, I didn't know what it means what is Ishqaqul it turns out that uh, it means uh, The, the literal meaning is Solomon's rings. Uh, these these uh, hard candies, they prepared like rings, you know, hard candy. Uh, something similar to lifesavers <laughs> today that, you know, that we use. Other than that, they use the regular zalabia, qataif. Um, more or less, the desserts were in a way similar to the mashraqi ones. Great. Well, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. And are there other manuscripts that you plan to work on in the future? I mean, is there a wealth of medieval manuscripts from the Islam world related cooking that still survives uh yeah well that, as i told you there is this the other one the other andalusi cookbook that is being uh, published now and and i think that i mean we don't have that many that many cookbooks from the uh, from the medieval times like 11 or something and now most of them are uh, translated or uh, after i finish this one all of them <laughs> all of them would be translated so hopefully you'll discover some that aren't known yet yeah 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 we are yeah, yeah we need we need more <laughs> well thank you very much noel it was really f- wonderful to listen to you thanks a lot yeah.